Hi, I'm Mark Priestley. After a life spent in the elite environment of the Formula One pit lane learning how to win, this podcast aims to bring that elusive, high-performance culture into your daily lives. In this week's episode, we're looking at some tips and tricks for thinking more innovatively after a conversation that I had with Joe Wicks this week. But we're also looking at relationships and how my experience in Formula One has helped them work for me. Welcome back to Pit Lane Life Lessons. Talk about how Formula One teams are so successful. Tiny things, but you only find those tiny things when you look for them. Of course, there's only one winner in every Grand Prix, so for everybody else, you haven't won, so it could be deemed that's, that's a failure. Hello everybody and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast. I know I say this every week, but I mean it every week. Thank you so much for joining me wherever you are in the world. And especially this week, thank you to so many people who sent me messages off the back of last week's episode telling me how much you're enjoying the podcast, but even more importantly, how for some of you it really is having a positive impact in your lives in some small way helping you to think differently and embrace some of the ideas that Formula One teams and the Formula One industry use inside their world to improve things that they do that you can apply to your daily lives. If that's working for you in some small way, by letting me know, it really does give me the motivation to keep going. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, This week, we've got a few topics to cover. Uh, One of those is led by you. It's come from a question from one of you that came in around the idea of relationships. So we're definitely going to get into that. How Formula One and my experience, particularly in Formula One, has helped me to make relationships work for me, both personal and professional ones. But also, I want to start this off by talking about the idea of innovation, of thinking differently, because this week I spent some time on a call on Thursday with Joe Wicks. You may know him as the body coach. He's the guy who ran PE with Joe uh, during the lockdowns of the global pandemic, kept certainly our nation here in the UK, but I know many people from all around the world kept people active, kept them moving, and in so many ways helped to keep families or bring families together, even if they weren't in the same room necessarily, to improve mental health around the world for lots of different people through exercise. So an amazing guy, did some amazing things and has done some amazing things, continues to do some amazing things. And the two of us had a chat on Thursday on a Zoom call for one of our Uh, joint corporate clients that we share uh, around innovation. And the note that I wrote down in my diary, as I often do, I go through the week, I keep a diary or journal anyway, but at the bottom of a page where I think there's something that's particularly noteworthy, I always write a little extra note to remind me to come back to it for this podcast. And on Thursday, the note that I wrote said, walkie-talkie meetings. And I'm going to explain exactly what that means and why I found it interesting. But the topic of our conversation was around innovation, how we can all continue to think differently and innovate to improve our lives, to improve the businesses that we all work for or run or work within, and generally improve the lives of people. So as individuals, we can innovate in exactly the same way that big companies do. Of course, we hear about big companies innovating much more regularly because it's newsworthy. When an innovative product comes out from somebody like Apple, 
we all hear about it, we all jump on it, it's celebrated and we all want to get hold of it, we want to try it out for ourselves. But actually, every single one of us can and does innovate all the time, because actually innovation is simply thinking differently about a challenge, coming up with new ideas that haven't been thought of before, putting forward suggestions to deal with something in a way that nobody may have done it like that in the past. And that's innovation. That's something that we can all use to our advantage. We should use to our advantage because innovation is what keeps the world moving forward. And it can do the same for us. If we are striving towards some kind of goal, whether that be a health and fitness goal, whether it's a career path that we're trying to get towards, career goals that we're aiming for, it could be financial, it could be relationship-based, it mean literally anything. Anything that we want to try and achieve or any challenge that we feel like we're facing on a regular basis, innovation or innovative thinking can really help us to overcome those challenges and those hurdles that we face, but also can give us a massive advantage in life. If we're innovating where others around us might not be, there's a potential to have a huge opportunity that the others might not have because we're thinking differently about a problem. And the conversation that Joe Wicks and I had over this Zoom call this week was really about comparing the way that Formula One teams and the Formula One industry innovates to the way that he innovates and his industry innovates. Of course, we all know Joe as this fitness coach from YouTube, but he also now runs his own company with a number of employees in the health and fitness sector. So looking at this idea of innovation from two different, very different perspectives was a really interesting process. I mean, Joe has been innovative all the way through his career. Building a career on a platform like YouTube was innovative in itself. What he did during the pandemic when people were all of a sudden locked down at home, unable to get out in the same way they might have been able to in the past, unable to go to the gym, unable in some cases to even go for a walk. Joe took to YouTube every single day to try and get people moving again, to try and give them something they could share globally to find motivation to get them off their sofas, to get them out of bed, to get them moving again. Something he believed passionately about. There was a problem in the world in that people were unable to get their physical activity in the same way. And Joe thought differently or thought innovatively about how he might find a solution to that. There was a problem around people not being able to necessarily be in the same place, couldn't go and visit people in the same way that they used to be able to. Families were unable to come together in the same way through different generations. People weren't able to get to school. Children were missing their friends. They weren't able to be in the same room as their friends and their teachers. But Joe thought differently about that challenge and used the platform of YouTube, this digital platform that so many people around the world had available to them, digital connectivity, and embraced that platform to be innovative about how he could then be the person who could get everybody moving again, get them connected together again through this shared experience of exercise that he knew would be so good physically for them, but at a time when the world was on the brink of suffering mentally too, this could have such a powerful impact in that sense as well. And he really embraced that new way of thinking. He was innovative, and that was the very point of our conversation. From my perspective, of course, I was talking about Formula One. Now, Formula One, 
I think most people appreciate that Formula One is an incredibly innovative industry. But in the most part, people would assume, I think, and Joe was the same. By the way, Joe has become a massive Formula One fan over the last couple of years since he was invited to a Grand Prix by McLaren and was a guest of Lando Norris at a race. And he was saying to me how mind-blowing it was just to be in that environment at the garage, at the racetrack, looking around at the detail, the innovation that was on display. But in the most part, most people understandably assume that Formula One is famed for its technical innovation. And it is. Formula One has always been about the cars. It's been about the technology on those cars and how innovative that that can be. Some some of the biggest innovations that have fed down into road cars, the road car industry, have come from Formula One where they were innovative at the time. Things that we now take for granted on our road cars are there, partly at least because Formula One was innovative back in the day, thinking differently about a challenge that it faced, thinking outside the box, something that no one else had done in that space before. But what Joe Wicks and I were talking about, particularly on this call, was not the technical innovation necessarily. Of course, that's a big part of what Formula One continues to do. But I was talking about how We had been innovative in terms of the way McLaren specifically thought about our human performance, not just our physical performance, but our cognitive responses, our mental performance, our health and well-being. Those kind of things are something that McLaren have been very innovative around over the last 20 years now. McLaren led the way, particularly from the perspective of the team side of things, in treating the members of their crew, starting with the pit stop crew that I was part of, more like the athletes that we used to treat the drivers for many years. Because McLaren realised and had an appreciation that all of those factors contributed to the overall performance of our team. By spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on shaving tenths of a second per lap from the lap time of our car, we could very visually, very demonstrably edge towards our goal of having the fastest Formula One car. Because if you can spend $100,000 and that can save you a tenth of a second per lap, very easily that's measurable. That $100,000 buys you a tenth of a second. A tenth of a second could be the difference between first and second. What's less measurable, what's less obvious, and certainly back then what was less obvious, was the contribution that the huge number of people, the huge number of humans behind the scenes in a Formula One team make to that end product, to that end goal. A tenth of a second per lap is something that's very visible. It's very obvious in terms of striving for extra performance from a Formula One car. But that tenth of a second per lap comes from the contribution of a thousand people working away behind the scenes. Coming up with creative ideas, developing those technical solutions, working together as a team, a group of human beings who are very complex individuals. And we now understand fully that those complex individuals, and that's the same for you and I, no matter where we work, what we do in our lives, are affected by so many different factors. So many different things that may be completely unrelated on the surface to the job that we might be doing. Are those people 
happy? Are they relaxed? Are they overly tired? Are they healthy? What happened when they left work and went home that night? Are their relationships in a good state? Are they living in an environment or working in an environment that is conducive to great positivity, to great creativity? And if we think about all of those things, is there anything that a company like McLaren can do to aid some of that, to improve some of that, to improve the health and well-being, the happiness even of the people working for the organisation? Because if we can start to improve any of those things from a company perspective, if we can have an impact on the personal lives of our employees in a positive way like that, we might just start to see better employees turning up for work each day. We might see a little bit more productivity, a little bit extra from those people coming our way. And that could start to translate into those tenths of a second per lap from the car's lap time or a tenth of a second off the pit stop cruise time. It might generate more ideas because we have a free-flowing creative environment in the workplace. If we've got happy people, we've got a thriving business, we've got a thriving environment where people can talk to each other, can communicate better with each other. We share ideas, we share solutions to problems, and everything starts to become improved If the people in an organisation, if the people in a business are feeling happy, are feeling rested, are healthy, are not suffering, if those people are in a better place, then our business is in a better place. And McLaren, back in the day, were one of the very first, in fact, the very first to really recognise this. And so I was talking to Joe Wicks about how McLaren set up their programme, I've talked about it before, the McLaren Lab to look at exactly that, human performance. Human performance from a team perspective, not just a driver perspective. And then specifically from the idea of a pit stop crew, which he was particularly fascinated in, how we started to embrace that idea, looking at the individuals around that pit stop crew and how we could help to improve their lives, both at work, but also even away from work too. And we started to run programs around health and fitness and well-being. When looking at the idea of pit stop training, we, of course, looked at training and practicing the process of a pit stop. We embraced new ideas to try and find better ways to do those things, to look at the technology, both in terms of the equipment, but also the car itself and how that equipment and the car integrated with each other. But much more importantly, or much more innovatively, this was the new part here. We started to embrace the people within that crew as importantly as we did the car and the technology. And so as well as practicing the process of a pit stop, we began physical training. We began to get people fit. We began to get them healthy. We followed nutritional programs as well to try and improve the health and well-being generally of those people. We did things collectively, like we would all go for a run together at the end of the day around the track as a team, which had the obvious benefits of getting us moving, making us feel a bit healthier, improving our physical conditions, but also getting us together, team bonding exercises to get us out, get some fresh air, get us out of the garage that we'd been in all day long. Your existence as a Formula One mechanic can very easily simply become the garage, the hotel and an aeroplane and very little more than that if you're not careful. And so we began to introduce these ways of getting people outside of that environment. 
we gave every member of that pit stop crew and indeed the wider team on a bigger scale the opportunity to put ideas forward, to have those ideas heard by the company. That was innovative in itself because at the time that wasn't happening. Nobody felt free enough. Nobody felt like they were going to have their ideas heard if they did put them forward. So by embracing that and communicating that in a really clear way, we started to not only get more ideas, better ideas around topics and subjects that we hadn't even thought of when we think about a pit stop, but it also empowered the individuals to make them feel valued in that setup. Feeling valued and feeling empowered all of a sudden breeds confidence. It breeds an environment in that crew where we feel like we are a family that are going to be listened to. A group of people who no matter who you are and what your role is, if you have an idea, if you want to question the way something's done, there is freedom to be able to do that. There is a channel to be able to do that without fear of reprisal. Those ideas began to start flowing more freely and the end results of all of these things, where we get a, a group of people that are happier, that are fitter, that are healthier, mentally and physically, and in a much better place, bonded together as a team. And of course, what happens off the back of that is you start to deliver better products. You start to deliver better pit stops. We start to improve on the original end goal, which is to shave those tenths of a second off the pit stop time. And in the same way, the tenths of a second per lap start to fall off the car. But they're not just doing it because a very small group of technical people, brilliant technical people, might have come up with an idea that everyone else then embraces and puts on the car. That's happened because we've thought differently about that problem. And now ideas are coming from everywhere, not just the design department. The way that those ideas are brought to market or brought to the car happens more quickly, happens more productively, more efficiently, because everybody's working in a much more flowing way because of the way the team has started to treat the people within that team differently, how it started to embrace the human performance and every single aspect of human performance as a valuable one. That was innovative. It was innovation in itself, not the innovation that Formula One at the time was famed for, not the technical innovation. The technical innovation came, but it came as a result of the human innovation that McLaren had really pioneered at this period. And so when I'm talking to Joe Wicks and we're talking about these kind of things and we're exchanging ideas of innovation in our separate industries, how these two industries approach this very differently. Of course, Joe Wicks's industry of health and fitness is very prevalent. Perhaps they were way ahead of Formula One in that regard in the first place. But one of the things that I really liked that I wanted to share with you that was an idea that Joe talked to me about. He says his company does this. And the reason I wrote down the note in my diary that says walkie-talkie meetings that I realise I haven't actually explained to you yet. Walkie-talkie meetings was a note that I wrote down because Joe said to me that's what his company does. They have a programme or a process that he calls walkie-talkie meetings. And the idea is, and this is something I love that we can all think about doing in every industry that we all work in, is we can do our meetings that so many people have every single day on the move. So many of our meetings don't have to happen in an environment that we traditionally do it in, in a meeting room. They don't have to happen in our kitchen sitting on a Zoom call if we're working from home. What Joe's company does is they mandate certain meetings every day have to be done on the move, walkie-talkie meetings. So a meeting that 
doesn't require face-to-face contact, but a phone call, a telephone call, an audio exchange will do. Those meetings can and should be done out on a walk. So he mandates that a certain meeting each day has to be done, even if it's completely remotely, has to be done just on the telephone rather than sat at your desk, which is where you'll spend almost all of the rest of your day. So you get out of the house or out of the office and you dial into this meeting and you have exactly the same level of productivity, if not more, because the people involved in that meeting are now walking, they're moving freely, they're in a different environment, probably surrounded by inspiration in so many different areas for many people. And they're combining the necessity to have this meeting and discuss whatever's being discussed with, as Joe considers it, the necessity to keep moving every day. We are so tied to our desks and that's so bad for us physically. We are not designed to sit in one spot in the same position for long periods every day. And yet that's what our our lives have evolved to become for many people. So walkie-talkie meetings, I thought, were a great idea. When he's in the office, he said to me, they realised last year that their office sort of overlooks a park in Richmond in London. Big green space. And so when they book their 10 o'clock meeting every day, instead of booking the meeting room, they will all go downstairs and assemble in the park. And they will walk for a couple of laps of the park discussing the same things that they would have discussed sat in a windowless meeting room up on the 51st floor of their office block. It's an easy win, isn't it? But it's only because somebody thought differently about that particular problem. We're spending a lot of time sat at a desk or sat in an office, which restricts us from the movement that we need as human beings every single day. So thinking innovatively, thinking differently about that problem has come up with that solution, which I love. Why shouldn't we be having meetings on a walk? If we've got a meeting with just one other person, why shouldn't we go for a walk? If we've got a meeting with 10 people, rather than sat around the boardroom table, go for a walk around a park. It's such an easy way to combine two things that we need to try and achieve every day. And yet for years and years and years, and still for most people, the idea of a meeting throws up this image of being sat at a desk, sat around a table, sat in front of your computer, as we often do it today. Doesn't need to be that way in the most part, does it? For many cases, there is another way of doing things. And only by innovating, only by thinking innovatively, do we find those kind of solutions. It's something that I am definitely going to embrace myself. And look, how many of you listening to this are probably thinking right now, what a great idea. That's brilliant. I told my wife this when I came home and she said, my goodness, I'm going to do exactly that. I'm going to get my team to do exactly that. We're going to start having our meetings outside on a walk. I mean, it just makes so much sense. It may not be possible for every single meeting, but that doesn't matter. The idea of thinking differently, thinking innovatively about problems and their potential solutions, of course, has happened all the way through history. But it is relatively rare. That's why it jumps out and stands out to us as being something worth celebrating. I'm sure if you ask everybody, are you an innovative thinker? Probably not that many of us would say we are. Probably it's the exception to the rule rather than the rule that people tend to think outside the box. Because in the most part, people tend to follow the convention. 
They think they don't have the spare capacity to take time to think about a solution that doesn't exist yet when there might already be a solution in existence that they can follow. And for them, maybe it works okay. That's all fine. However, if we want to get the advantages in life, if we want to find solutions that don't yet exist, it needs innovative thinkers. And one of the things that I took away from our conversation is that every single one of us can start thinking more innovatively, but we have to dedicate some specific time to doing it because our daily lives don't necessarily offer us the time and that spare capacity to think about the problems we face and conjure up new ways of tackling those problems. If a solution exists, well, let's do it. Let's just crack on with it because then we can get over the problem quickly and move on to something else. But the problems in our lives are also potential solutions. Because if we're facing a problem, it's highly likely that many other people face that similar problem. And if we can find a solution that works for us, a better solution, an innovative solution, there's an immediate advantage. We might not only overcome the challenge or the problem, perhaps more efficiently, perhaps faster, but we might create some other opportunities that we didn't even know were there. We might find some other advantage out of the problem. But we have to think innovatively to be able to do that. And I believe that we can and should all start dedicating a tiny bit more time to this. We all face challenges every single day. Some of them are relatively specific to us around our lives and the things that we have to do each day, each month. But others are much bigger. Others are societal problems. Others are global problems. When the world was facing this huge problem of the global pandemic over the last couple of years, Joe Wicks thought innovatively about a solution to part of that problem. It wasn't just a problem that he was facing. It was something on a global scale that his thought process could have a major impact on millions and millions of people. That was just about looking at his expertise, looking at what he was good at, the skill set he had, looking at the platform that he'd already managed to innovate on, communicating with lots of people through a digital platform like YouTube and appreciating that those two things combined, his unique set of experiences and skills, combined with a digital platform that millions of people had access to in a time when they didn't necessarily have access to each other in the physical form, he could utilise that in an innovative way to bring the world back together again. And it's exactly what he did. Changed the lives of millions and millions of people brought generations of people together again when they couldn't see each other physically. Innovative thinking, a really very simple solution. I mean, he was doing the thing that he'd been doing for many years. He was doing physical workouts on YouTube, but repackaging them in a way that could bring so many different people together at such a difficult time created massive opportunity. Of course, it was massive opportunity for him, it's catapulted him into a global star. It will have brought him significant financial income. But the much bigger benefit to that was what it did for the people on the other end of that YouTube video. People around the world, I did it myself. PE with Joe was one of those things that schools were doing remotely, bringing all of our kids together in the classroom. But adults and kids were doing it together. Grandparents, parents and children multiple generations. It was a brilliant, brilliant and innovative solution. 
Now, we don't all have to be thinking on quite that same global level. We can start with ourselves because every single day there are challenges, there are pressures we face, there are things we have to overcome just to get to the end of the day. Many of us have that. It might be time pressures, it might be financial pressures. But just like the solution, the walkie-talkie meetings that Joe and his team have, that's combining two things, isn't it? It's combining physical activity plus the necessity of conducting this team meeting at work. That's immediately saving time. If you are struggling to find time to do your dog walk or to go to the gym or to do the physical exercise that you used to be able to do when you were locked down at home, but now you're back in the office, you don't necessarily have the opportunity to do anymore. Well, there you go. Innovative thinking combines the two things. It saves you a bit of time. It gets you out and about. It gets you moving. It gets the fresh air. It gets the physical exercise whilst conducting the meeting. I mean, that's one tiny little idea. There are so many of these things. The ideas that McLaren came up with back in the day to improve the well-being, the health, the physical well-being, the dietary regime that we followed... These were all things that had the obvious benefits of keeping us as a team healthy. And therefore, from a company perspective, we were less likely to get sick or to get injured. And that can have obvious knock-on effects in terms of the performance of the team, the consistency of the team. But from an individual perspective, when I was going through that process, I felt like I was getting all of these benefits for the company, but they were also benefits for me outside of work. It was a double whammy. I felt like I was improving my life whilst improving what I could do for the company at the same time. We did all sorts of things. I mean, some really simple things. McLaren, in fact, in Formula One, we used to have team uniforms that were all pretty much the same. It was a pair of trousers and a shirt, often quite a thick, hard-wearing shirt. So when we're rolling around in the garage on the floor underneath the car... That shirt's going to stay in a reasonably good shape. But it wasn't a particularly comfortable shirt. We went to some very hot places and these shirts were often quite heavy. They were thick because they were so hard-wearing. McLaren changed all of that. In the mid-2000s, McLaren introduced the idea of wearing almost a, a sports top. Breathable, lightweight, elasticated, comfortable. Something that we felt good wearing, felt comfortable wearing, were able to move more freely and it made us feel more like the athletes we were starting to become because of all the physical training and the health and well-being that we were working on away from the racetrack. It was innovative. It was something different. It made us feel special. It made us feel innovative as a team. The other teams looked on and laughed in the beginning. And we laughed back because we knew that in a couple of years they would all be wearing them. And that's exactly what happened. We led the way in such a simple exercise, something that's so basic, just changing the uniform that we wore into something that worked for us, not just something that we'd always done a certain way. That's innovation. Of course, not all innovation, not all innovative ideas work out straight away. I mean, that's just the very nature of it. It's a risk when you take an innovative move. McLaren had some of those very well publicised. If you've read my book, you'll know the story of the McLaren cooling suits. We discussed it this week. The McLaren pit stop suits that had a cooling network of pipes all over the suit that were plugged into a central chiller unit in the garage that we would then burst out of the garage, in theory, with lower body temperatures than we might have otherwise had, which would based on the science, enable us to operate at a higher level, 
to be at our very best because our core temperature was lower than it otherwise might have been. The science behind all of that is great. It's solid. It works. It was based on some very thorough research. So in striving to be the very best, to up our game in the pit stop stakes at McLaren, we thought outside the box. This came from an idea from Ron Dennis. He was being innovative in the way he thought about how we could improve the pit stop performance of our team, the human performance of the guys around that pit stop crew. No one had ever thought in this way about that problem, which is what made it so innovative. And at the time, I remember being really proud that McLaren were pushing the boundaries in these areas. The idea was that we'd wear the suit that would keep us cool in the garage, we'd unplug and jump out the garage, run to the pit stop when we needed to do it. At that moment, at the peak of our physical and mental ability. But the reality was when we actually produced the suits and we did it for real in the pit lane at the British Grand Prix, it was a mess. The suits were too bulky. They restricted movement. People tripped over all of the series of pipework running around the garage in between the chairs connected to this central chiller unit. We had reduced visibility from the new pit stop helmets. There was a backpack that had a pump in it that circulated the fluid around our body, but it was heavy, it was bulky. The whole lot restricted our movements to the point where our pit stops ended up being slower than they were before we started using the suits. So the idea was all solid. It was based on great intention. It was an innovative solution, but in the reality of testing that, it didn't work but that's okay. Of course, it was a little bit embarrassing at the time that the whole world was staring on at this spacesuit-like creation that we'd come up with, with the intention of shaving hundreds of a second off our pit stop performance, keeping us consistently at the forefront, at the leading edge of pit stop performance. And in reality, we took a step back in terms of our pit stop performance. But that innovation, of course, led on to further thought process. It led on to more and more thinking about the human performance side. And much of the research and development that had gone into it, of course, wasn't wasted. It was knowledge that we now had through thinking differently. That knowledge, of course, went into other solutions further down the line that will have somehow improved either our performance, the performance of the drivers, or the performance of the team as a whole. So not all innovations, of course, work out. They are risks by their very nature. I said right at the beginning of this, innovation is thinking about a problem in a way that nobody else has. It's thinking about the solutions that people have never thought of before. In their very nature, that's a risk. Because you're the first person breaking that new ground, there is a chance it may not work out. But as Wayne Gretzky once famously said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So by taking that risk, by throwing the dice and taking that gamble, by thinking innovatively about a problem or a challenge you're facing, you potentially create yourself an opportunity. And if some of those don't work out, but just one does, that could still be a massive advantage. It could be the advantage that sets you on a path towards the success that you're after. So my challenge to you this week is to be innovative. It's to take some time to be innovative, to think innovatively. And the way I would love you to try and do this, and this is what I now do, right? I take dog walks almost every day. I have long car journeys every day. I get on a train. 
And I'm sure many of us do similar things to this. Now, often when I'm doing those things, I will put a podcast on, I'll listen to music, I might read a book. I will do something in that period of time because I enjoy combining the thing that I'm doing with something that I want to do. As I said before, that's a nice way of saving some time, of being efficient with your day. But maybe just on one of those walks, on one of those car journeys, and I do this at least once a week, on at least one of those journeys or periods in your life this week, don't do anything. Don't listen to the podcast. Don't read the book. Don't put the music on. And just think. If you're walking the dog, just think. Use that time to think about some of the challenges you have in your life. Think about a problem you face. Think about something that you feel holds you back or restricts you. Something that frustrates you. Something that you just have a feeling could be done better. And just mull that over in your head. It's just having that freedom to think. Innovative thinking comes from having the space to think about the problem differently. And that's why so many of us find it hard to do. We don't give ourselves, we don't create ourselves that space to think. We feel like it's wasted time. But if we come up with a solution that is innovative, that might help us to get closer to the successful goals we're after, it's not wasted time at all, is it? You may not find the golden ticket, the golden solution immediately. It might take you days, it might take you weeks. But if you introduce that pattern into your life where at least on just one occasion each week, if you've got a long commute to work, if you're going on that dog walk, if you're sitting on a train, just switch everything off and allow yourself the space and the freedom to think about a particular subject that troubles you, a particular challenge that you face, something that you just don't feel is being done well enough or could be done better. Something that you do every single week just because that's the way it's always been done. And start to question those methods. Start to question the way you do things, the way other people do things. And start to step back and try and look at it from a much bigger picture perspective. Is there a better way? Even if it's a crazy, wacky idea. So what? That's where the best innovative solutions come from. So try and do a little bit of that this week. Just give yourself a moment or two. Give yourself a 20-minute dog walk or whatever it might be just to think about something differently. Believe me, I do this myself. And whilst I love listening to podcasts and music in those moments, on just one or two of those a week, I'll just switch it all off. And it is amazing what comes out of those moments. It's amazing what your mind can create, where your mind can go when you just allow it to wander. It's not something we do naturally, is it? It feels like wasting time, but it isn't. So look, give yourself that opportunity. Give yourself that freedom and space to think about a potential challenge that you face in a very different way. Encourage yourself to go crazy with your thoughts, to think outside of the box. Imagine if you were faced with that particular challenge, if there was no solution in existence right now. It's a difficult thing to do because we are exposed to those solutions. They are ingrained in our mind. They are the norm to us. But try and put yourself in a position where if you'd come here from another planet and you were looking at a particular problem, what might you do? If you had a blank canvas in front of you, how might you approach that? Would it end up being the same way you do it now? And it might be. It may well be that that is the best solution. 
But quite often, much more often than you realise and you appreciate, there might be a different solution. There might be one that works for you better than this global generic solution that everyone else does. But you're only going to find it if you dedicate some time to thinking about it. So look, see what you can do. Have a think about that this week. Just give yourself a little bit of freedom to think differently about a problem. And I would love to know if anything comes from it. I'd love to know if any of you, even just one person, finds the answer to a question that you're asking yourself. If this podcast can kickstart a train of thought that delivers a solution like that, I'd love to hear about it. Anyway, good luck. Go and become innovative thinkers, all of you. (laughs) Uh, Right, I want to move it on to... A question that's come from one of you guys. This is a question that one of our listeners of this podcast sent in to me, and it was such a good question and one that I think is relevant to every single one of us that I wanted to address it at the end of today's show. The question is this. Hi, Mark. Big fan of your podcast. So first of all, thank you very much. Uh, I'm just starting my career in motorsport as an engineer, and I was wondering if you had any tips for starting or maintaining relationships both in and out of my career. I'm predominantly struggling to find a good balance between work life and personal life due to the intense workload and travel requirements of my job. So, first of all, thank you so much for sending in the question. If anybody else would love to do that, I would love to start answering more of these in the podcast. So just let me know anything you're going through, anything that me or our community might be able to help with in some small way, please do fire it in. Um, But look, that's a great question because every single one of us, although we might not all be working in a motorsport-based environment, a motorsport-based career, we're all faced with relationship challenges. Relationships are something that every single one of us has to deal with. Whether it's personal, whether it's professional or anything else, we all face relationship challenges. And the idea of this person embarking on a career in motorsport, of course, struck a chord with me because I've been through that exact experience. And there are a number of relationships that, of course, are impacted by a career in motorsport, but in any other industry that requires huge demands on your time, on your focus, uh, perhaps on travel, like motorsport definitely does. It can have a massive impact on personal relationships, obviously, but also the relationships inside your career, inside your company, inside your business with colleagues and bosses and employees. These are all really important and potentially powerful relationships that can end up working for us, but also, if we're not careful, can quite easily work against us. So I can offer the benefit of my experience from my time in motorsport and particularly in Formula One, because let's start with the idea of personal relationships. When two people are in a romantic relationship and one or both of those people are in a job or in a role that has huge demands on their time and on their attention, and perhaps, like I said, have travel associated with it as well, it can put a massive strain on a relationship, of course, in in an obvious sense. Sometimes you're just not there when you need to be. From a Formula One perspective, it's an industry that's quite frankly littered with broken marriages, partly at least because of this. Partly because that career takes so much demand on the person working in it that you are rarely at home. And even when you are at home, you're quite often not home for very long. And you're at home at times that are non-conventional. 
you may not be there at weekends when everyone else is enjoying time off their more traditional jobs. That can put massive strain on a relationship. And look, for this person who's written in, who's just starting on their motorsport journey, which, by the way, can prove to be an incredible career, one that I would recommend wholeheartedly. And let's get this out there early, not one that has to prevent you having a relationship outside of the sport. Whilst the sport might be littered with broken marriages, and it is, it's also populated with people who enjoy fruitful and successful relationships away from the sport too. It's just about how you manage those. And so my biggest piece of advice, and this is coming from somebody who has had a failed marriage during the early part of my Formula One career. Now, it wasn't solely because of Formula One. There were a number of reasons my marriage didn't work out. But the point was, it's a very tough place for some people to maintain a healthy relationship. Because when one person on one side of that relationship might have a career like Formula One, but it doesn't have to be specific to Formula One. Any industry, like I said, with these kind of demands will have similar challenges. When one person in that relationship embarks on that kind of career, you're committing to way more than just a job. It's not just a nine to five. This is something that's a lifestyle commitment. There is a massive emotional attachment to that job, as well as the physicality of it, as well as the demands on your time and on your presence in a particular location. You are emotionally invested in what you're doing. You're trying to win a Grand Prix, for example, and if you win that Grand Prix, you're on a massive high. If you lose it, you're on a massive low. It's an emotional roller coaster, to quote a much overused saying. So not only are you often away at weekends when the rest of the world might be enjoying their downtime, their social time, inviting everybody to barbecues and weddings and events and parties, you probably can't go to those because you're not there. Your other half, the other side of that relationship, may be enjoying a much more, in inverted commas, normal life. They may well be in an existence amongst their friends and their colleagues who are able to go to the barbecues, the parties and the weddings. And yet the person in this particular relationship is unable to often go with their other half because they're away working in an industry like motorsport. But also when that person comes home from a long week away on the other side of the world, having been doing all sorts of long hours, emotionally invested from that Grand Prix, coming home with either a wonderful feeling or a terribly low feeling, depending how it's gone, they get back home after that long-haul flight, emotionally and physically drained and exhausted, and the other half of that relationship, who has been desperately looking forward to see them, who has been perhaps working their own job, looking after the house, looking after children, running the challenges of life on a daily basis, single-handedly, that person might be just desperate to offload the children, might be just desperate to go and have some downtime themselves because all of a sudden the other half of their relationship is back. The parents, the father, the mother of those children might all of a sudden have walked back into their life and they see that as an opportunity to hand them over and take a moment to themselves. Whereas the person coming back from the Grand Prix, from the motorsport event, might also be looking at it as if, well, I've just had this incredibly tough weekend away. I've just stepped off a long-haul flight from the other side of the world. 
I just need a moment to myself. I need a little bit of downtime myself before I can transition between being Formula One engineer into the life of being a dad or a mum again, or being a husband or a wife, boyfriend or girlfriend. I might need to go and have a little lie down. I might need to need a moment to adjust. There's a conflict there, isn't there? Both sides of that relationship are looking at it from two completely different perspectives. And the way that those relationships can and have to work is through the same method that every relationship should and can work. Through an understanding, a mutual understanding of what the other side might be going through. A mutual shared empathy of what that problem looks like from the other person's perspective. And quite frankly, this is not advice that's specific to romantic relationships for people working in Formula One. Relationships in almost any sense should be centred around empathy and understanding, together with good communication. So to come back to the question that was put to me in the comments section of YouTube around relationships, how do you start and maintain a relationship whilst in a career like this? You do it through those things. If you're looking to start to embark on a new relationship, having just started your new career like this, of course, you've got to be upfront and clear and transparent in your communication about what your life looks like if you meet somebody outside of that industry. Transparent communication about the fact that you're not going to be there on the more conventional times like weekends when many other people might be off work. That's got to be laid out up front. The fact that you are going to be away for extended periods of time, but you might be home and have more unconventional days off when you do return. You might get a Tuesday and a Wednesday off on a certain week. If that clashes with the other person in that relationship being at work on those days, it might start to prove challenging. It might start to prove tricky. It's workable if both parties have a shared understanding and appreciation that there's not some choice being made by the other person not to be there at a weekend. It's something that is a fundamental demand of that person's chosen career. And if it's laid out up front, there's a much better chance of that working. If somebody doesn't like that deal, if somebody's not willing to take that deal as part of a relationship, well, then you've got it up front straight away. They can choose to accept or not to accept. They can choose to have a go and see if it works on the basis that it will be challenging at times. So clear communication from the very start has to be a fundamental. But empathy from both sides about what it looks like from the other person is absolutely crucial. And that's advice for any relationship in the world, whether it's a personal romantic one or whether it's a business relationship. If you are trying to build a relationship with a client at work, trying to sell them something, trying to convince them of an idea you've had, you have to be able to look at that relationship from the other side to get their perspective. If you can develop the skills and ability to be able to do that, the relationship has a much better chance of success. It has a much better chance of that relationship working out for you. If it's a business relationship and you want to sell something or convince an idea to a client, you have to be able to understand what that idea might look like to them. Because to you, it may be the best idea in the world. It may be something that's going to generate 
profit margin for you. It may be generating obvious success for you. But what's it going to look like to the other side? Do they see the same brilliance in that idea that you do? Or might they have a separate series of challenges that might potentially conflict with that idea? If you can look at it from their side and appreciate those challenges up front, you can adjust your pitch before you make it. You can look at their perspective and tailor the way you present that argument, the way you present that idea to that person. So empathy and understanding in whatever kind of relationship you're embarking on is absolutely key. And of course, along with that, the way you communicate those things. Now, in terms of Formula One, to come back to this question, it is a challenge. Living in a world of Formula One is a challenge if you're going to try and combine that with a life outside. Because they are two very different worlds. One is, in inverted commas, the real world, and one is the bubble that Formula One exists within. Now, when I talked earlier about McLaren being innovative in terms of looking after their people and appreciating what impact the people and their well-being and their moods and their state of mind can have on the business, they also appreciated that relationships that people had outside of the team would have a bearing on the way those people turned up to work. And so whilst McLaren knew they were placing massive demands on their employees, they were also placing huge demands on the people that were being left behind by their employees when they asked them to travel the world and compete in the Formula One World Championship. And so McLaren, once understanding and appreciating that, started to do little things. And they were just small things, but they made a big difference. Inviting the people on the other end of those relationships in for family days, Husbands, wives, girlfriends, boyfriends, children, family members, bring them into the McLaren world to experience a little bit of this McLaren family environment. Days where there was entertainment laid on, food, drink, experiences, but that they could all be shared together. They knew that they were asking a huge amount of sacrifice from these people. And so by giving a little bit of something back, it began to build trust. It began to build an understanding for the people on the other end of those relationships of what was involved inside this McLaren world, inside this Formula One world. We had the opportunity to bring partners and family members to the British Grand Prix to sit in a McLaren-specific grandstand and watch the race amongst other members of the McLaren community. Small things in the grand scheme of things, but really important and things that genuinely made a difference. Things that helped to smooth the relationships of the people inside and outside of Formula One. That was McLaren having an understanding of what that might have looked like from the outside, of how the people left at home might have perceived McLaren and what they were doing in taking away the members of their family. So empathy and understanding are some of the key fundamentals to any relationship working. Getting those right gives you a really good basis for any relationship. I really believe that. And so to come back and answer the question that was put to me, first of all, a relationship whilst working in the world of motorsport isn't going to necessarily be easy if the other person on the other side of that relationship is not working in that environment too. It might need a little bit of extra effort in terms of dedicating time when you're not at work to that person. You might need 
a different kind of buy-in from the person that you want to have a relationship with to accept that the times you spend together might be unconventional. And if everyone can agree to that, if everyone can buy into that, can accept that, if you can make it work with a little bit of extra commitment to each other, there's nothing to say it can't be amazing. But the other point that I would make here is that some of the best relationships, whether they be romantic and personal or business and commercial, are often the ones that are grown organically without being forced together. Quite often, if you throw yourself into your new career of motorsport, you might just find that the person that you're looking for comes along. I mean, it happened to me. My wife and I have been together for many years very happily because we met each other inside the world of Formula One, not because we were desperately looking for each other, but because we stumbled across each other. We grew to know each other and things worked out. So my final piece of advice really would be to don't force it. Just allow things to happen as they happen. Allow yourself some time to breathe, some space. You're embarking on a new career in this wonderful industry. Perhaps throw yourself into it. This is an industry where you will end up meeting some incredible people over the course of hopefully many years, potentially from all around the world. I, went, I met my wife in Shanghai, of all places. So I hope you have an amazing career. And when you do find yourself in relationships, have an appreciation that the person that might not be from the world of motorsport that you are so immersed in might not understand it to the same level. Try and appreciate that and look at it from their perspective. And when it comes to time management, try using the skills that the motorsport career will undoubtedly teach you, that will ingrain within you. Time management within motorsport is something that's absolutely key. They will not move the race if you're not ready. So utilize those time management skills in your personal life if you can in the same way. Dedicate time for the things that you need to dedicate time for. Perhaps relationships are some of those. Thank you very much, everybody. I hope there's been something of value for all of you inside today's episode. If there has been, please do let me know. Just drop me a note on any of the social platforms. If you can leave a rating and review, especially if you're listening to this on iTunes, it makes a huge difference to me and to the podcast itself. Any of those things will be greatly appreciated. I hope you all have a fantastic, fantastic week. We'll be back again next week with more. And in the meantime, remember this. Do the right things and do the things right. Ta-da.